Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And if you are new to this podcast or if you're new to Bible Studies for Life, Welcome. We are glad that you have joined us for this podcast. Uh, Let me just tell you what happens every week is we are going to just spend about 20 minutes or so in one of the Bible study sessions, just kind of giving a big picture, a big overview of it. We are launching into a new study with winter, and it's all about the name of God. So, Chris, let's talk about names for just a moment. Typically, the first thing we do when we meet someone is we ask their name or we give them our name. We know a lot of names, but the most important name we can know is the name of God. And that's why for the next six weeks, we're going to focus on the name of God. Thanks, Lynn. I think that this is going to be an exciting study um, as we look at the importance of God's name today. And we're delighted to have with us the author of uh, the personal study guide content, uh, Jerry Phillips. Jerry, good to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Jerry um, is uh, recently retired as uh, a professor at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary in Memphis, uh, is a pastor in uh, southwest Tennessee, and, uh, we're, and has been a prolific writer. Jerry, how much have you written for Lifeway? I've written at least 35 quarterlies. I, I stopped counting there, uh, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it goes back about 25 years with various curriculums. Well, thank you for writing. Uh, you did an excellent job, and you're, you're going to be with us in a, in a few weeks when we do session four of this study as well. So appreciate you taking the time to be a part of our podcast today. Thank you for the invitation. So what we're doing with this first session, this whole six weeks, we're going to be looking at not names of God, but the name of God just in general. This is the power, the the majesty behind that name. And with this session, we're going to focus on the importance of God's name. And in this, we're going to see that God's name reveals that he's all powerful. He is the one that we can completely trust. Jerry, you tell an interesting story about a a ring that was given to you connected to uh, your family name and heritage. Uh, share that with our listeners. Well, I'm I'm wearing it actually right now, uh, and have have for a number of years. Uh, my father uh, was a jeweler, and uh, uh, in the mail one day came this ring that he had. Uh, made and and uh, it has our family name on it and family crest and inside the ring is engraved uh, our name because I'm a junior. Our first name is spelled a little differently, J-E-R-E instead of J-E-R-R-Y. Uh, and so I'm a I'm a true junior. Uh, but the the ring reminds me of the legacy of our family and the responsibility that I have to maintain. Uh, an honor about that name. And because it's on my finger and everybody sees it and uh, comments on it, uh, I, I have to make sure that I'm living up to the family name. What we're looking at here is that we want to honor the family, the name of God, the name of the head, head of our spiritual family, God. To do this, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, where we're going to see an incredible encounter that Moses had with God. And now before I begin reading in Exodus 3, Jerry, would you just kind of bring us up to speed? What has happened up to this point in the book of Exodus? Well, in chapter 2, we see uh, the 
introduction to Moses, and, and it moves pretty fast in just a very few uh, verses from his birth during a time where Pharaoh had commanded all the boy uh, children to be killed, uh, to his mother uh, placing him by faith in a basket and putting him in the water, to the Pharaoh's uh, daughter finding him and uh, raising him, adopting him, uh, making him a prince of Egypt, uh, to the point where uh, as a young man, he uh, well, a young man at 40, he uh, decides that he would rather identify with God's people than to have the treasures and pleasures of Egypt. Uh, in doing so, uh, he saw an Egyptian uh, manhandling some uh, Hebrews. He intervened and in the process killed the Egyptian, uh, hit him in the sand. Uh, shortly after that, he tried to intervene with some Hebrews that were arguing with themselves, and, and they said, who, who made you the boss? And uh, so are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptians? So he, uh, uh, as the Westerns used to say, lit a shuck and headed out of Dodge. Um, ended up in Midian, a uh, good distance away on the east side of the uh, eastern part of the Red Sea that separates the Arabian Peninsula from the uh, Sinai Peninsula. And uh, that's where we pick him up in chapter three. So we come to uh, verse one. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. But then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then we just see what we see here in these opening verses, that God, he is a holy God, that we are to approach with reverential fear. So we're told that the, the location is Horeb, which is called the mountain of God. And uh, that will be a strategic place in scripture, not just here, Uh uh we're told later in the story that a part of God's sign to Moses that everything that he told him would happen is that Moses would bring the people and they would worship him right in that location. Uh, this is the place where uh, Moses goes and receives the Ten Commandments. This is the mountain of God Horeb where Elijah goes uh, in First in Kings. So it's a significant place uh, in the lives of the people of uh of god yes and it's also called mount sinai and uh people may be more familiar with that name uh as the place where uh, moses as you said went up and met with god and came down with the commandments yeah let me uh, let me put this on the table here one of the phrases here it's about the angel of the lord now it's obvious as you continue reading in here what we've just read this is god himself 
But often we see this phrase, angel of the Lord, throughout the Old Testament. How do we? How are we to understand that phrase, angel of the Lord? I, I think we have to uh, differentiate uh, a couple of uh, matters. First of all, there are occasions where uh, the phrase angel of the Lord is used with an indefinite article, an angel of the Lord. In this case, it's with the definite article, the angel of the Lord, uh, very specific. Uh, there are two thoughts as, as you read this uh, encounter that Moses had. Uh, it says in verse two, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame within the bush. Uh, he looked and thought he'd go over and see it. But then as he approached, God spoke. And, and so the point of perspective changes from reference to the angel of the Lord to the word God. Uh, so there are people that think the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, uh, refers to uh, a theophany, an appearance of God himself. Uh, there are some that uh, believe it's a pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, there are others that sort of separate in this particular passage, not all of them, but this particular one, uh, an appearance of the angel. And then as Moses goes to see what the angel is doing in this bush that wouldn't burn, uh, God shows up and speaks to him. And so there are uh, those that would see the angel of the Lord as uh, separate from God himself in this particular case. But in any case, uh, Moses meets God. And they have a very interesting conversation. Yeah, it's very true when you get to certainly by verse four that he is having an encounter with God. God tells him to remove his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. What is the significance of that statement? Why did he need to take his shoes off? Well, the holy ground had nothing to do with the ground. It had to do with the presence of God. Uh, the, the sandals and the removal of them had two uh, possible uh, significance, uh, matters of significance. Uh, one is that uh, they represent the impurities of the world that are brought to the place. And so often in worship, we, we come in with the impurities of the world in our hearts, and, and we need to separate ourselves from that. Uh, but, but secondly, it's a matter of respect. Uh, one did not go into the presence of God um, without respect, without honor, without thought, without reverence. And so it's a matter of the reverential respect for God uh, that he would remove it from the presence of God. So somewhat an act of humility. Absolutely. Several months ago, we were in a study in Bible study for life were called Set Apart back in the summer, which looked at First of all, it did begin with the holiness of God. But as we continue through that study, we looked at what does it mean for us? Because we're called to be holy, even as God is holy. And uh, what I valued about that study was really understanding the holiness of God, what it means for us to be set apart. And here is this encounter that truly is, in a sense, set apart because God's presence is there. Jerry, I appreciated what you said just a moment ago about how we need uh, to remove our sandals. We need to remove the things of this world, the things that we bring into uh, a worship experience. And uh, this may be a good opportunity to have a conversation in, uh, in our groups about how we prepare for worship, uh, some things that we need to do. Uh, 
any any advice for us there? Well, I think any time that uh, if if you or I were to go into someone's home, we would uh, be careful how we dressed. We would probably not come straight in from working in the field and and clump mud into the living room. Uh, it's a matter of respect for them that we would clean up and and uh, change our clothes. Uh, and yet so often we come into the presence of God without any thought, uh, not just of what we look like, but of who we are and, and what we carry with us from our uh, excursion into the world and, and the worldliness that creeps into our own hearts. So as Moses is standing there for God in this sense of reverential fear, we come to God's going to tell him now why he has appeared to Moses. And we come down to verse nine and God is continues to speak. He says, so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me. And I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. So there's this idea here that God just says, look, you can trust me. We can trust that God will do what he says he will do. It's also a reference to, um, in chapter 2, we're told that God heard the cries of his people. He saw what was going on, and uh, now he's he's letting Moses know, you know, I am aware of what's going on, the heartache, the, the, the heartbreak, the enslavement of my people, and I'm going to do something about it, and I'm I'm going to use you, <laughs> which could be a, can be a scary thing for us to hear. Yes, and in fact, if you include the context of verses seven and eight uh, prior to the uh, focal passage, uh, God says, "I've observed the misery. I've heard them crying. I know their suffering, and so I've come down. Therefore, I'm sending you. <laughs> but as I send you, I'm going to be with you." And I think that's significant. You know, Jesus in the Great Commission didn't just send the disciples out to make disciples, but he said, uh, I'm going to be with you. And as long as God's with us, we can face extraordinary obstacles with faith rather than fear. And Jerry, in this in this passage, and of course, all through Exodus 3 and 4, you see this reluctance on Moses's part. And when you contrast that with well, Exodus 2, which you referred to earlier, this boldness of Moses, he's, there's an Egyptian beating an, uh, one of his Hebrew slaves. So it's like Moses is going to rescue his, you know, he's going to rescue his own people, I guess one person at a time. And he had that boldness then. Now, 40 years later, you see a whole different side of Moses. I mean, the, the, the humility that now, and there's that. I'm just wondering, God, God, hey, I've been there. I've done that. And there's this reluctance on his part now. But God reminds him, I will be with you. You know, you mentioned reluctance, Lynn. You know, you have to, you have to again, understand he's, he has now been uh, half of his life. He's spent on the backside of the desert. Uh, he has lived in exile. He has lived as a fugitive. Uh, 
And I don't know that we always think about Moses as a fugitive, as a murderer, but that's the reality. And um, so uh, he's been probably by himself a lot, probably a recluse somewhat. And so he's a different person than he was uh, when when he ran from from Egypt. Sure. I, you know, I, I wonder, of course, the fear of if I go back, will I be arrested? Uh, the thought, hey, I'm a failure because, you know, I, I failed then. I, 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 surely I can't do it now. There are a whole lot of factors, I think, just weighing in on him. And again, he's he's not used to being around people unless unless they look like sheep. There's that promise there that God will be with him. Now, what I want us to see as we keep reading Remember, our focus is on the importance of God's name. And as we see it here, that God's name, it reflects his care. It reflects his sovereign character. And that should draw us into this trusting relationship with him. I want to see this as I pick up reading in verse 13. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, and say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. I think it's important to notice some of the implications of that uh, I am name of God, the the Yahweh, or the in the old uh, King James, we call it Jehovah, which is a Latinized version. Um, and that is, it's I am, it's the ever-present one. Uh, he was present as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was present as the God of Moses right then and there. And he would still be present with those in all of these coming generations. It's like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is a characteristic of, of God, of who he is. So what was the significance of, of Moses saying to the people, um, or asking God, what, what, what am I to tell these people when they say, what is his name? Yeah, and that's one of the interesting uh, parts of this where God doesn't give them a big explanation. He just says, tell them I am has sent you. And as we know through the New Testament, there's a lot of the I am, uh, ego I me passages uh, in which Jesus uses that phrase to refer to himself. Uh, and so God was not interested too much in explaining as proclaiming. Uh, his character and his nature, and what as I have read about the the, the phrase Yahweh, the uh, this idea that as I am who I am, I was who I was, I will be who I will be. There's this kind of eternal element that in, in this statement, this this name that He is God, and there's a sovereignty that He was God, He's God now, and He will always be God. And that's why he even says there in verse 15, this is my name forever. And this is how I'm to be remembered. 
and I think that would be something interesting for us to talk about in our classes is what does that name tell us about the power, the majesty, and the sovereignty of who God is? So as we begin this study on uh, the on on God and His name, uh, this is an essential passage for us to look at together. It really does set the stage for everything else that will happen over the next few weeks. So uh, this has been a great introduction for us to consider uh, the name of God and uh, that He is a God who has always been, will always be who is faithful, who is trustworthy, uh, who we can count on. And those are some of the dynamics that we want our groups to have conversations about. And so with that, we see that because he is this all-powerful God, he is someone we can completely trust. Chris, Jerry, thank you for being a part of this conversation today. So we want to thank you who are listening to this podcast for being a part of it today. Uh, Jerry will be back with us um, in a couple of weeks, and so we'll be looking forward to hearing from him. And uh, I hope this is a great week for you as you open God's Word and talk about uh, the name of God and who He is in your Bible study groups this week.